I don't think like this is something that can be replicated. I think BTS is like a once in a lifetime act and in the same sense, like I also think ARMY is a once in a lifetime fandom. Like I don't think there's ever going to be a fandom like ARMY again. Hi everyone, welcome to How Music Charts, where we pull back the curtain on today's music business, exploring music industry trends, music data, and the creativity that helps your favorite artists hit the charts. I'm your co-host Jason. You'll hear from our other co-host Rutger soon. This podcast is owned and operated by Chartmetric, a music data company that connects numbers to narratives to help the music industry leverage the power of data analytics. On this episode, we chat with Ami Patel, a writer for Water and Music, a passionate analyst of the international music scene, and the Leslie Nope of K-pop fandom. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Ami Patel is a music marketing strategist from Houston, Texas, with a Bachelor of Business Administration degree in marketing and entrepreneurship from the University of Houston. She has a passion for artist development and the global music market and frequently shares her thoughts on current music trends and new music discoveries on her website, which is linked in the show notes. In June 2021, Patel penned a 3600 word tome entitled Anatomy of a Modern Pop Fan Base, how fans use data to build their own music marketing powerhouses, which will be the main topic of today's conversation with her. The K-pop guide and also just general fandom guide was rigorously researched by, and written by Patel and edited by Sherry Hu, who runs Water and Music, which is a membership-funded email newsletter, research hub, and community forum dedicated to unpacking the fine print of commercial, technological, and cultural change in the music industry. Patel was a recent participant in the first ever Measure of Music, Music and Data event in February 2021, and is joining us today from the great state of Texas. So without further ado, please welcome to the How Music Charts podcast, Omi Patel. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thank What's you up, for Omi? having me. For sure, for sure. Happy um, to have you and thank you for making time for us. Uh, let's just get started by just getting to know you a little bit. Uh, you're just getting started in your music business career. You recently aimed your business background towards the music industry. Um, over how much time did that kind of turn happen and and what made you decide to, to get into this crazy business that we know? Um, so after college, uh, I worked in like the social media. I did mostly like social media marketing um, for like a, a lot of different um, businesses in different sectors. Um, I realized it wasn't really something I enjoyed too much, um, although I did like looking up trends and analyzing trends. But I, I think the actual social media aspect wasn't that much enjoyable for me. Um, and so I decided to like try other things. Um, I'm also really into film and I wanted to be like a film director, but I think any creator would know that it's really hard to get into the entertainment industry in general. And especially being a South Asian woman, it's even harder. Um, there's a lot of different obstacles set in place. So I think that caused me to be very, ex it was more exhausting than it was like, I guess, um, I guess exciting. Um, so I kind of decided to take a break on that. And then um, actually being a fan of BTS actually led to me, led me to learn more about the music industry. And um, I started learning more about how the music industry works, like what people are doing, how people are consuming music, how you know people are doing live events, how they market, um, not just in the US, but everywhere. And it just really, really got me interested. And I started looking at things like trends and like, what people are talking about, how they're talking about it. And I don't know, it just like really sparked something in me. And that really, really made me realize like, this is what I want to do. And since then, like, I've just been attending a lot of different events, um, networking with a lot of people, really getting to understand like different people and their different perspectives. Also really learning a lot about like the tech space and how it's being integrated into the music industry as well. So, yeah. Awesome. Let's chat about uh, your take on the global music market for a little bit. One meta conversation that seems to be happening is what does popularity mean now? It's certainly mm -hmm. changed since back in the day when it was you know, very much controlled by a few gatekeepers, arguably still so, but probably a few more. Uh, for example, you know, as Americans, our own little bubble, we frequently focus on a lot of the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, frequently forgetting how YouTube, as you've mentioned here, um, has higher active users around the world versus uh, those streaming apps um, in particular, mm -hmm. and the truly global reach that the platform provides. So the question you've asked is, is the US market really an indicator of what is popular when considering charts and numbers in other parts of the world? Let, let's start with that. There's a lot, <laughs> already, already a lot there, so um, yeah. yeah. Um, so this is my opinion, but 
I mean, I do know that the U.S. market has a lot, a very large consumer base, and there's a lot of people consuming music on like a lot of in a lot of different ways. But something that I've noticed is like whenever people say like, or whenever the media talks about like, oh, this X Y Z artist is like the biggest in the world, and then you actually look at the world and see like what's charting or what people are listening to, they're that specific artist isn't even in like the top 20 and so I think it's more like around the narrative around what uh what the media says is what's popular here um and what they feel like is like oh yeah the U.S. is in the indicator of success but in reality when you look at what people are doing in other parts of the world it's like it's very very different um I think a lot of that is just like not really under like I think the people here are not really understanding how the market works in these other parts of the world um, not realizing how YouTube music, like you said, like is a really big factor in a lot of these countries. Like they use YouTube music a lot. I just feel like uh, it's more about like the perception of like what people are saying here and um, not really realizing like there's a whole world out there of like all these other artists and genres. Mm -hmm. I'm just, uh, I'm browsing right now on charts.youtube.com. Anyone, it's, it's fully open to the public. Anyone can check it out. I'm looking number one um, in the past week is BTS actually. Yeah. Uh, 285 million views in the past. Uh, it looks like the July 16th to July 22nd, and the second is a name I recognize, Alka Yagnik. Uh, I'm oh, not sure. Yeah, yeah, she's a Bollywood singer. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I'm very familiar with the name, not as familiar with uh, her, her music, music, but I know yeah. she kills on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Um, she is constantly in like the top at least top five, if not like yeah, top three, yeah. uh, whenever I check kind of like global YouTube. And that's so funny because I think it totally speaks to what you're saying. Um, she's a, I think Indian playback singer, as you say, and and it just just murders, just murders on yeah. the platform. It's a name that, you know, for a lot of Americans, I'm, I'm speculating, but probably yeah. are not yeah. there with. Yeah, like for someone like me, like, I mean, I'm, I come from an Indian household, like that she's very popular and she has a lot of like huge classic uh, music and um, like that everyone knows of but again like you know if I were to just go on the street and just like talk about Alka Yagnik like everyone's like who's that like but you know like in India she's huge so again like that just shows like how what what's considered popular here may not be considered popular in other parts of the world okay let's get into k-pop so obviously for a while now there's been a lot of talk about k-pop fandom and how, mm -hmm. you know, fanatical it really is. In the Western music business, it usually revolves around like, how do we do that? Like, how do we replicate those numbers or get that kind of engagement? As an army yourself and someone who's like invested in the cultural environment surrounding the music, how do outsiders understand that level of passion and the fan connection that these fans have with BTS. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can't speak for uh, fans of uh, these other K-pop acts, but as an army, like I, all I can say is like the reason why they love BTS so much, and the reason why they're so invested and are doing all these like different activities voluntarily, like no one's paying them to do it. It literally just goes back to the simple, it's, it's not complicated. It's not like any secret formula. It's literally just their music and message. Like whenever like you talk to any fan, any army, like they say that their music and the message that they put out has really resonated with them and really connect, made them feel seen. And because of that, like, you know, they just want to like, you know, indulge in these different activities or participate in um, these different projects or, you know, help BTS achieve like the goals that they have um, as fans. So I, I don't think like, you know, it's, I've said this in my article too, but um, I don't think like this is something that can be replicated. Um, you know, I think BTS is like a once in a lifetime act. And in the same sense, like I also think ARMY is a once in a lifetime fandom. Like I don't think there's ever gonna be a fandom like ARMY again, um, at least not in the near future. Um, but yeah, um, I actually like attended South by Southwest virtually this past year. And I attended uh, this panel by Len Zong Yoon. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But um, he's now the current uh, CEO of Hybe America. But back then he was just the global CEO of Big Hit. Um, but he had a really interesting panel where he talked about how um, one of the things Big Hit was asking was, what does music mean to people? 
And from there, they realize like, you know, music is something that's very universal and it's something that everyone understands and can connect to. And then they also asked like, okay, so if we know that music connects with everyone, how do we help elevate that? And how do we spread that to like different people from all over the world? And they realized like, especially in 2013, like around the time BTS debuted, they, um, they were in this like digital age where, you know, people were on YouTube and using Twitter and all these different social media platforms. So um, they essentially, you know, with BTS, like they saw that they had this message that they wanted to send and they use all these platforms to help spread that message and elevate that message to people all over the world and it helped not only fans connect to the artists but also fans connect to other fans um so i think it's it's a very unique and special connection that they created and something else that he said that i actually really love is that in his panel, he said, the world is made up of unlimited diversity, which is another way of saying unlimited potential, um, which to me showed how Big Hit knew that, you know, music is very global and that, you know, people in different parts of the world are indulging in it in very different ways and they have very different perspectives and they want to help like connect and they want to help like tap into that. And they saw BTS and they see how much potential and how the messages they have can really help connect um, to fans. So to me, it's like, it's really not that hard to understand. Like, honestly, like if people just talk to fans and just didn't treat them like, you know, how, you know, oftentimes they call them like crazy or fanatics or delusional instead, like just talk to them, just listen to what they have to say. And I'm sure like they have, they all have very unique and inspiring stories. Um, but yeah, at least for BTS, that's how I feel. There's something there that you said that I want to sort of pick apart a little bit, which was um, it's not just about the artist's connection with fans, but fans' connection with each other. And I think that's something that maybe creates this sort of community Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of Western acts maybe haven't. It's a lot more individual in terms of, uh, you know, a fan's relationship with the artist than it is with a lot of, um, I mean, ARMY, obviously, but a lot of other mm-hmm. K-pop fans as well. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. Like, I think ARMY, in, like, I can speak for ARMY, but like, I have never seen so many fans within ARMY that are, that is, it just feels like such an inclusive and diverse community. Like, so many fans are, there's literally fans that are, like, trying to help other armies, like, find a job, how to pass the bar exam, like, how to pass the MCAT and um, teaching them how to learn Korean, um, you know, hosting different charity projects and charity events and just, you know, supporting each other's art and music and just, you know, like, within within the fandom, like, I'm not talking about BTS. And so it's just it's so unique and it's so diverse and the age range too, like not just age range, but like there's people from all different backgrounds, gender identities, age, like from all over the world. And, you know, some of them don't even speak the same language, but they're willing to communicate. And it's just really, really impressive. And yeah, again, like I haven't seen that in the West and I don't know if it's possible to even replicate because again, like, I don't think this is something that can be replicated. So that sort of leads into this next question, which is you've mentioned um, K-pop being labeled as a genre is a little bit of a misnomer because it's an industry. Can you unpack that a little bit and why that distinction matters? Like, how is that different from, say, pop or indie in terms of an industry designation becoming a genre designation? Yeah. Um, I know, like, this is just my opinion. I know a lot of people have different opinions on this. But to me, like, I always felt like K-pop was more of an industry just because, like, when you look at the different acts within K-pop, they're all, you know, doing a lot of uh, different genres. They're experimenting with a lot of different types of music. But I think what makes it an industry is that they all follow, you know, all the acts are, you know, they're very dynamic um, in terms of like performances, their costume designs, their set designs, the choreography. It's a very visual experience, um, which is what I think makes K-pop K-pop. Um, you know, also they have a very unique fan connection. Um, 
um, that's very like uh, catered to like the K-pop community. Like to me personally, it doesn't really feel like a genre. It's just um, there's a lot of different genres of music that they like tap into. It's more of an industry. So I want to start getting into the article you wrote for Water and Music. For those not familiar, please please check it out. Um, it's on Patreon. Um, we'll leave a link in the show notes. But Omi's um, article. We're going to talk about K-pop and stuff, but she she does cover, you know, Olivia Rodrigo, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, you know, other like non-K-pop um, or Korean um, acts here as well and their own respective fandoms. One thing that I found really interesting was how you basically skirted TikTok, uh, you know, for all the, the TikTok, you know, articles we all read, you know, day to day. Um, you you instead chose to focus on um, like another kind of like a method of of getting the word out, which is like station head and these listening parties. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how um, you decided to cover more about that, uh, uh, the particular aspect of uh, fans like listening together, as yeah. opposed to yeah. doing the whole whatever normal viral TikTok thing that everyone's chasing. Yeah, um, I think um, something that I think listening parties have always been popular within um, Army at least, and I think other K-pop communities too. Um, but with station head, like what I've noticed, like I was part of that stream whenever they like broke the, um, like the most concurrent, um, amount of listeners. Um, I think it like reached like what, 200,000 or something. Um, but like when I was listening in, like, I think people like whenever fans participate in these type of streaming parties, like it just feels like, like a concert to them. Like, right. Like they're just playing all these different songs, like, uh, especially with BTS, like their discography is so like big and rich. So, um, they're just like listening to it and then they'll go on social media and they're just like tweeting and they're like, Oh my God, I love Pepsi. And then they'll just like, you know, share different gifts and mu- uh, videos and, um, even like concert videos from like, Oh, I remember when I was listening to this song when they performed in like Seoul or whatever. Um, and I feel like it's just been, I feel like Station Head has uh, really been able to like bring all the fans together and like essentially create like a virtual like fan to fan concert experience for them and just be able to enjoy music with other fans as well. And it's just very unique. And at the same time, they're also supporting the artists because these streams end up going back to their respective charts. So. Well, let's get into it then. Uh, let me let, let's do a radio reset for anyone. We, we've been throwing around the word army a lot for those not familiar. Uh, the BTS fandom is they're called army. Uh, myriad articles have been written about their their exploits and undying passion from perfectly synced fan chants. I'm a big fan of those, by the way. I think it's super awesome. Uh, to ensuring number one placements within industry standards like the Billboard charts to Allegedly bringing down the June 2020 Tulsa, Oklahoma, President Trump rally uh, via social media. There was a lot uh, written about that in the news, of course. So, you know, obviously there's no shortage of ink that has been um, spent um, talking about, you know, some of these like really amazing um, achievements. Is there anything that you haven't seen written about um, ARMY and and their ability to to just do these amazing things um, that you'd want to talk about now? Anything you want to refute that maybe you see often and kind of like rubs you the wrong way, that kind of stuff. Oh, there's so much. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, go, go for it. Yeah, I mean, okay. Well, one thing is like, I wish more people would talk about how, I know all these charts and all of it, that stuff is really impressive. Um, but I wish more people would also talk about how ARMY is also like, they do so much good work and good deeds um, because they've been inspired by like BTS themselves as well. Um, for example, with the McDonald's collab, they um, I saw stories of like pe- fans in different regions around the world raised money to give large tips to delivery drivers during the McDonald's collab because they knew there was going to be an influx of orders. So they were like, we're going to raise money so that we can give these uh, delivery drivers tips because they're going to be obviously like very, it's going to be very tedious and they're going to be very exhausted. Um, You know, in other parts of the world, like they were giving, um, donating um, BTS meals to frontline health workers. Some people were raising money to give back to homeless shelters, um, like uh, some people were donating money to um, UNICEF, which is one of BTS is uh, organization BTS has partnered with. Um, 
there's so many different like good deeds like that. Um, I even saw some people like, like in the US, like we didn't get like the purple packaging. And so there were people sharing stories of how like, you know, they just messaged their family or like they would message another army and be like, hey, I know you guys have the purple packaging in your country. Do you think like you could like send it over? And they'll be like, yeah, sure. Like, like I'll just send it over. Like, you know, they they didn't even ask for a compensation. They'll be like, yeah, I'll just send it over. No problem. Like, it's fine. Like, you know, just like these simple good deeds that people are doing just because like, you know, they understand what it's like to really love and spread BTS's message and um, the good things that they do. I wish more people would talk about that. And even on a smaller scale, too, like how um, I've read stories about how people decided to pursue their Ph.D. Uh, degrees again because of BTS and how they've gotten inspired by them. Or even on a much smaller scale, like listening to their music, like they, um, there's people who said, like, I decided to, like, just take it easy on life because BTS told me or have sung about how, you know, you don't always need to, like, just keep working hard. Like, you don't always need to have big dreams. It's okay to just live life. And that's also inspired a lot of people. So I wish people would talk about stuff like that and, like, all the good things that have inspired ARMY to do all the stuff. It's like how I mentioned before, like, they're doing this voluntarily. Like, no one's paying them to do it. Like, they're not getting paid to do it. They're doing this out of their own time, their own passion, um, because BTS have inspired them so much. Um, even on a in another way, like whenever um, BTS have gotten like racial attacks and like xenophobic attacks, like uh, especially like the most recent one with the uh, German radio station, like fans like took the initiative to like not only condemn what that person said, but also made it made it aware that this isn't just a BTS issue, but it's also an issue with like the Asian American, uh, the Asian community. Like, you know, ever since the pandemic, like the Asian community has been getting a lot of like attacks and racial attacks. And so what he said wasn't just an attack on BTS, but like the Asian community overall. And they wanted to raise awareness around that. So again, like I wish people would talk about that, but obviously like everyone just wants to focus on how they're like bots or mass buyers or how they're crazy, which honestly, I also feel like um, it's really sexist because um, I feel like every fandom, like regardless of whether it's pop fandoms, has like that small group of fans who are very like, you know, they take it a little bit too far, but that just exists everywhere. Like it's not a fandom thing. Honestly, it's an internet thing. Like that just happens on the internet and I hate it, but it's just part of the internet. Um, mm -hmm. And especially like whenever they call fans like, bts fans crazy I, that always like ticks me off because like have you seen <laughs> like i always compare it to sports fans because i'm like have you seen sports fans like do you see like <laughs> what sports fans do like if yeah, they, they literally probably. do the same exact thing like i would argue that they're probably more violent and destructive like during the euro cup like i saw people like literally like like punching guards and like throwing like glass bottles in the street and like destroying property all in the name of sports that they so-called say like oh it brings a community together and i'm like okay so whenever armies do the same thing why is that like somehow delusional or crazy or um you know fanatic like i don't know like it it also feels very sexist in a way but that's a whole different thing <laughs> but yeah i just wish people would just listen to these fans and listen to like why they do what they do because really it just comes down to like bts being just so authentic and their music meaning having so much meaning to them but i wish people would just talk about that i'm gonna make a weird um parallel but have you been to or heard of burning man i've heard of it i've never been to it so i've only been to it once Rucka, have you been wait you've been to burning man at once, oh, yeah. And I wish I could see you there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's it happens in like um, outside of Reno, Nevada. Mm -hmm. It's if you hear about it, it, the reason I bring it up is it's when you read about it in the news, it's about people doing drugs and you go out in the desert and you camp in the middle of nowhere and mm -hmm. uh, it's a rager of a party, dude. You know, like like a lot of just kind of like things that are very salacious or very. Yeah. Um, you know, very things they they read well on a blog article or a news article or something like that. But I'm looking at the 10 principles of Burning Man, which I totally felt there when I was there in person. It's radical inclusion. 
gifting. It's devoted. It's an environment that they create where people just like give things to each other. Um, demo- decommodification um, to help enable the gifting, radical self-reliance, self-expression, communal effort. A lot of these very, um, you know, very lofty, like is, is extremely pleasurable community to be part of for whatever mm-hmm. week, you know, four or five days that I was there. And that's really the the heart, the beating heart of what that yeah. kind of gathering is every year. And every time people leave, like there's like this thing for people have gone, like you get depressed for like a week because yeah, you were trying yeah. to society. And anyway, it, it's really sweet to hear. I, I, I had never heard that story, for example, with the McDonald's collaboration. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, really like rallying together. It's It reminded me of that vibe. And it's really cool to hear that, um, you know, as an outsider, like I, don't, I did not know that. Um, it's really cool to, it seems almost like a, a global virtual version of of that kind of environment yeah, yeah. support each other. And I think that's that's super cool. Were you twirling fire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are BTS army lights, right? Though, aren't there? Uh, yeah, yeah, the bombs, the, the army bombs. bombs. Yeah. yeah. Were you gonna say something? Oh, I was just uh, I was just gonna say like um, uh, with the whole B- uh, McDonald's collab. That's also not exclusive to just the McDonald's collab. They actually do these different charity events, like also in the in honor of um, their birthdays too. Like every time it's a member's birthday, they do different charities, event projects around the world. Um, also for BTS's anniversary and on Army anniversary too, which was in July 9th. Um, but yeah, they it's like they do it all the time. It doesn't have to be like whenever they collab with something, like they'll just do it just for fun, even if just in the name of BTS. Cool. So let's get into like the global nature of, of right. I think, cause I think it's super cool. Like, can you describe, are there any differences or, or interesting things about like army in Latin America or mm-hmm. Europe, Asia, the U S you know, what, what, what's similar? Is there stuff that's different? If so, um, what are they? I think the similarity, I think this is, uh, with every fan, um, every fan within army is that the, is over the fact that like they just all love and support BTS and like the fact that they all listen to their music and are also willing to like look into lyric translations and really understand like the nuances of the language. So like all the wordplay they use and um, like the different idioms they use and stuff like that. Cause oftentimes like when you just read their translations, they might not explain, like it can't explain all the nuances of that. Um, so there's like a lot of different translators, um, uh, army translators who will translate all their lyrics and so I, that's something I have seen that's very common no matter where the, uh, the fans are from. Um, the difference I think maybe just in the way they consume content might be different um, obviously like depending on where you live or where you're from like they might use different streaming platforms um, that's most convenient for them like in Korea like I don't think a lot of people use Spotify I feel like people use like again YouTube Music and Melon and uh, all these other social uh, streaming platforms um, but yeah, in terms of differences, like, I feel like I haven't really noticed that much of differences. Like it's literally just, it's honestly the same. Like everyone's just talking about the same thing right now. Everyone's just like, I just want to go to a concert. I miss them so much. Like, like everyone's just saying that in, all, in every different language possible. So, um, yeah, like I don't see a lot of differences to be honest. I think every fan is different in the way they perceive things and um their opinions on things and the way they uh, their opinions on different songs but yeah I don't, I don't it's not like latin fans are like this or like asian fans are like this or anything like that to get real nerdy um like when there's a new release let's say that happens at midnight i'm assuming because that's how most releases go down do let's say fans in asia like get the first hint because they just happen to be the first people living in the earliest time zone if you know what i mean and it it ends up like cascading down to like you know central and western asia and then you know africa middle east and eastern europe like so like if they have a song like that's dropping at 12 a.m eastern like so what i've seen is that fans will um they'll convert it so like they'll say like okay it's dropping at 12 a.m eastern that means that that's 1 p.m korean time that's Ah, okay. uh, like, yeah. So then like, um, fans will be aware and then they'll be like, okay, I'm going to wake up early or I'll stay up and make sure I hear it. So I don't think it's like they hear it first or anything like that. Like it'll it's across the board. Everyone hears it at the same time. Totally makes sense. 
Um, all right, let's get into let's get into to the good stuff. Okay, butter. <laughs> we've, exchanged few, we've exchanged a few emails on this already. Uh, it released to, uh, for those not familiar. It's a BTS single. It released at the end of May 2021 to great success. Um, do you mind if I, I quote something that you wrote to us? Sure. We can cut sure. out later if you want. Um, I've been seeing a lot of articles coming out recently from music critics and journalists criticizing BTS Army for quote unquote mass buying butter to keep it number one on Billboard, uh, the Billboard charts. It's essentially downplaying BTS's success because they have fans, which makes no sense to me. Uh, there's an article you referenced uh, in Forbes that explained your opinion. Could you could you expand on it in your own words? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, um, this, uh, this criticism is still going on because Permission to Dance went to number one too, and the same same arguments have been coming and saying like, oh, it only went to number one because they have fans, which is, why would you say that? Um, but to me, it like makes no sense because by definition, isn't popularity when you have fans or you have a large following, right? So to me, it's like these fans are organizing and they're mobilizing and they understand what kind of metrics and policies are set in place that essentially are like, um, that put BTS at a disadvantage. So they're like, okay, we know like, what we need to do and we're just going to focus on streaming and buying and making sure they get to that number one right i promise you there are so many artists who would wish they had a fan base like army that was able to do something like that right and so to me it's like when they when they say like oh like they're mass buying they're bots or whatever i'm like what do you mean by that like why are you so surprised like uh why are you putting so much importance on like having the general public be like um like whether or not the general public likes your music is an indicator of who and who's not popular because to me like yeah it's important like yeah maybe it is important for the general public to like your music but it's also important to convert the general public into fans which is what bts is really good at a lot of my friends like they became B uh, bts fans after dynamite because Dynamite got so much, like it was huge success. And, you know, they BTS did so many different performances of it. And my friends were like watching it. And from watching that, they like got recommended these other performances. And then they got recommended like these interviews and then like all these like compilations of like their funny moments. And then they like, were like, what is this from? And then they're like, oh, that's run BTS. And then they like get into run BTS. And, you know, they just like fall down this rabbit hole of like all this content. And they realize like how funny BTS are and how charming they are and how amazing performers they are too. Um, even with Dynamite, like they've done like, I think 37 different performances and every single performance was different. Like they even perform like the remixes, like Tropical Remix and the Slow Jam Remix and um, the Holiday Remix. Like, you know, no two performances were the same. And I think that's what makes them so unique is the fact that like they they make music and they make singles that they put out for their fans, but it also can cater to the general public, but they also know how to turn the general public into fans. Whereas with these other artists, at least in the West, I feel like they're just focused on putting music out for the general public and then they don't do anything about it. Like they don't try to like say like, okay, well, everyone's liking our music, what do we do now? Like, how do we make sure they stick around? They don't really do anything. And so to me, it just makes no sense. Like these fans are smart, like ARMY is very smart. They're very intelligent. I've seen what they have been learning. I've seen what they, like they read about like what people are doing in the industry. They try to understand, they try to overcome these different obstacles. So I feel like, it's just not fair to call uh, to say that. But to be honest, like at this point, I don't really care what any of these journalists or critics say, because if you're not going to take the time to understand the fandom, also, if you're not going to take the time to understand BTS and look at their music discography and actually look into their journey, then I'm not going to really care about what you have to say. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm going to do to like help support them. But that's a, that's like my opinion on that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I and I. So when was the? Do you remember the first year that um it was the BTS beat like Selena Gomez? For, it's like the Billboard. Oh, Billboard Social, social Artist. No, it's like twenty fifteen ish. Something. Like I think that, that was twenty seventeen. I think. Twenty seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Um, I definitely was tracking that. Um, I'm Asian American. The fact that I I saw people that you know basically look like me who are like killing it over there it, it really caught my attention 
and was appalled by a lot of the xenophobic remarks that yeah, came out yeah. that I saw on social media. Um, not only after that, but you know, and, and various other successes that BTS have, has had had um, kind of during that that 2017 ish period. I I feel like the when you're talking about um, like questioning the validity of mm. you know because Army is you know understanding how Billboard, for example, you know judges that that particular award or some particular chart that they have, and they're looking at the methodology to make sure that they're going to win. I feel like that's some probably a more it's a, it's almost like a subtle version of that. You know what I mean? It's kind of like this is not the typical act that we've seen before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say something to somewhat invalidate it. Um and it's unfair because I won't name names, but there're totally other acts on the western side of of the world that are doing whatever, you know, similar things or or activating um, you know, their fandoms or trying to make sure that they're also in a winning position. Yeah. I'm trying to watch my words here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and and so the fact that it's not brought up for them, but it is brought up for BTS, I feel like that's... Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like an unfair. Yeah, and... I treated the same way. Yeah, um, and I also feel like a lot of that has to do with just... To, uh, this Again, this is my personal opinion, but to me, like, I still feel like BTS is downplayed, like, them as a group, because... Like not too long ago, they performed Butter. I forgot for which, for who they performed or which network it was on, but they introduced them as new to the scene. It's BTS. And I was like, new to the scene in 2021? Like, where have you been? Like, what do you mean new to the scene? And it just like, it got me so frustrated because I was like, how get like, you know, little things like that, like get me annoyed because um, this is a group that- It's just new to them. Yeah, new, it's just it, new to them, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, but still, like, you know, the, if this is, like, mainstream media and calling them new, like, that's, like, annoying because it's, like, this is a group that in 2018 and 2019 were, like, selling out stadium tours all over the world, right? Like, not just in the U.S., but, like, in London and Brazil, Singapore, Tokyo, like, everywhere. They were selling out stadiums. And even then, they weren't, like, you know, getting the proper acknowledgement. And now after they release like an English single, English, sh- English single. <laughs> <laughs> Say that 10 uh, times fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, after that, it's like all of a sudden they're like, okay, yeah, now let's like give them attention and like actually talk about it and see and like, you know, give them play their music on the radio or like give them, you know, put them on these like big playlists and stuff like that. And it's like it's great but at the same time it's like frustrating because it's like they've been doing numbers before then right so it's like why didn't you recognize them before and sometimes like some of the things these journalists will say or even like just people in the media or just random like people in general will be like um why are you know why are fans so obsessed with this korean boy band why are people so into this k-pop group like they emphasize the korean part and they emphasize the k-pop part and to me it feels like a microaggression because it's like why are you so surprised that a korean group is able to accomplish all this stuff or they can they're able to have this kind of network of fans and have this like strong loyal following because to me it's like what does that say about the industry here that to them that's unusual like what kind of narrative have you constructed to where people that don't fit your mold of popularity, all of a sudden they're considered unusual or weird. Um, because it's not weird and it's not unusual to me. Like it makes perfect sense. Um, but again, like the perception and the way that media has like controlled the narrative of what can or can't be popular, especially in pop music, um, it's it, it has put BTS at a huge disadvantage and ARMY, has always been very loud about it and has always said like you know the, the, like they've always talked about this these injustices and these obstacles that they have to face and i think that's also one of the reasons why bts in particular also understand like have such a strong appreciation towards their fans because if there's they know like how hard and how loud their fan base has been about all this stuff and um to them it's like you know no matter what the industry does or what you know these different markets do like the one people who will always have their back is like army um but it's really really frustrating um especially like you know because again like i talked about earlier like how i wanted to go be a director right and these are the same type of obstacles that like poc people face like 
you know, like, it's like, your story's not good enough or like, we're not, you know, there's no way like you're going to make it just because, you know, like no one can relate to you. There's not a market or a demographic meant for you. So I feel like it's the same thing in the music industry, um, especially for non-English speaking acts like BTS. Like, you know, it took an English song for them to finally get any sort of basic recognition, which is really unfair. Even when you look at interviews, like from last year, like in 2020, uh, when they were promoting Map of the Soul 7, like, I remember there was one interview where someone asked them, like, what is your favorite English word? And I was like, who <laughs> asked someone that? <laughs> like, what kind of question is that? Like, it it feels very insulting and almost dehumanizing. Like, wh- you know, like, just talk about who they are in their music. Like, why are you making them feel like they're some kind of alien? Like, they're they're just people who have music that connects with everyone. Like, I don't understand what's so hard to grasp but yeah just to add a quick tangent here army is a huge user of chart metric actually yeah yeah and so i'll see a lot on social media um i mean ultimately they're trying to sort of use data to correct structural inequities yeah so i'll see on social media they'll call out spotify for Mm. placing bts super low down on an editorial place on an editorial playlist while they're placing artists who are, you know, much less successful, um, especially on the billboard charts. Yeah. Way above them. And so they're calling out Spotify, like, look, we have the numbers right here. (laughs) What's going on. And so really they're bringing to light using data, these structural inequities. And I think that's super important to highlight. That, yeah. that that's their real sort of purpose there. Yeah. Yeah. And they definitely do do that because um, something else is like uh, inclu- with um, I know a lot of fans use chart metric. And then also like something that they always talk about is that even if, you know, I mean, BTS obviously have gone number one and they're still number one and hopefully they'll be number one next week, too. But um something that they say is that you know like the one thing that proves that they are really successful is the fact that there's all this data and numbers that can back it up like they had a muster concert in um june and there was like 1.93 million um, 93 um, million viewers or at least ticket buyers so not viewers just how many people bought tickets um from 195 different regions around the world um and that's just for a muster. So a muster is different from like an actual concert. Muster is more of like a fan meet. So they don't really, it, it, they, you know, they interact more with the audience. Well, obviously they didn't have an audience, but like they interact more and they also perform a lot of their songs that aren't um, official BTS releases, like a lot of their SoundCloud music. Um, but yeah, that was just for a muster. And I was like, I don't know many other artists that can pull that off. Um, I know they've talked about it, but like, I don't want to mention names, but they've mentioned like, oh, this other artist like had 5 million viewers or 5 million people watching it. But if you really look at it, the reason why was because they offered free tickets to um, people in India and China. So that's why they had a boost in numbers. Um, But with BTS, it was all paid tickets. Um, But yeah, like you know, they, and then even like just Twitter engagement, their Twitter engagement is also really like insane. And so I'm just like, at least they have the numbers and data to back it up um, whenever anyone tries to dismiss them. Yeah, and I think that's dope. Yeah. I want to go back to, um, so the last two singles that BTS released uh, are both in English, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, I remember uh, in 2017, like BTS, they, they had a huge like US like media blitz. They were on like Ellen and like yeah. one of the Ryan Seacrest radio show and all that stuff. Um, and I, I think it was the head or at least someone that was part of Big Hit had mentioned in an interview that um, I think they were asked like, would, will they ever sing in English? Because, you know, they're whatever doing their press blitz on, on the US side. Um, and I think they had replied like, nah, I think we're just going to keep doing our thing in Korean. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought that was really cool. And not that, you know, they can't change because anyone can change your mind. But like, you know, I just thought it was interesting that the past two have been in English. So what do you think went behind um, that choice? And how do you think that impacts their career trajectory over the next few years? 
Yeah, I think it was RM who said that. And then um, I think actually when he when they did press tours for Dynamite, um, someone brought that up, like the same thing that you brought up. Like, you know, you used to you guys said that you're just going to do what you're you've been doing. But now you decide to release an English song. So what changed? And his answer was very honest. And I really like I liked what he said. He said a lot of things have happened, like the pandemic, like we didn't expect that. And then, you know, our minds changed. And now we decided to just release an English track and try something different, um, which, you know, like I'm all for it. Like I've really liked Dynamite and Butter and Permission to Dance. And um, they're just exploring different, you know, types of um, ways to approach music. And um, they also talked about the whole process and how like, you know, part of the process was like learning how to pr- uh, pronounce these different words how to you know say it and uh because there's a difference between like the way you say it versus how you sing it um which they actually talk about in their vverse magazine and stuff which is really cool but um i feel like them it's um i feel like them singing in english has just has allowed like their music to be played more on the radio um it also has led to like just more like publicity for it like I'm not saying like it's BTS's fault but I'm saying like I'm it it is frustrating that it took an English track to do that but um I think it has brought more exposure to them and and has brought more fans because since Dynamite their fan base has grown a lot um and even with Butter like there's a lot of new fans with that too so I get I got a I got a curveball so because when you're talking about um you know some of the the flag that that um, they'd be getting for their success in, in other parts of the world. I, I looked up, I just Googled um, um, Despacito. Um, yeah, yeah. It was released in 2017, by the way. Yeah, I yeah. It, like early 2010s. So there's this weird, like along the same time on kind of like a parallel track, there's like this whole like Latin reggaeton like explosion, yeah, right? Yeah. That, you know, a lot of the English speaking world, like just they didn't know of. Of course, the, the Spanish speaking world was like, yeah, this is dope. It's been dope for a long time mm-hmm. now. Um, did you feel have you ever thought about like that particular movement as a parallel to what they were going through and did you feel like that music movement was being um kind of like you know given like the the stiff the stiff arm for a little bit or do you feel like it was easier maybe for reggaeton artists to like get in because they weren't getting the same kind of um you know Mm. you're over there and we're over here kind of yeah yeah um so actually, like I knew about this Pasito before, like Justin Bieber hopped on the song, and um, I I thought it was really like catchy. And then I feel like I mean, it could be wrong, but I feel like it got bigger because in the U.S. after Justin Bieber like did the remix, oh, totally, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally. yeah. <laughs> and so that introduced a whole new genre, like this whole new industry, right? And um, I still feel like. Um, even within that industry, like they also kind of struggle in the same way. Um, like the the best example I can think of is like Bad Bunny. Like Bad Bunny's huge, and like his he has just like you know a really passionate and dedicated fan base. But at the same time, like you know whenever he releases music, like I don't think his songs get played on the radio enough, and I think that results in like you know hurting his chances of like staying stable on the charts and stuff like that. I think a lot of this has to do with just the, I think it just has to do with the industry kind of being ignorant towards other industries or other markets. Um, Like people here, like just don't, if they don't understand something, they don't try to understand it. Like they're just like, oh, what is that? That's unusual or that's weird. And they're just like, okay, whatever. Like they they think it's like a fad, like no one's going to care about it in a couple of months or years, um, which is not true. Um, But I think a lot of it is just like people not really doing their research or not really educating themselves and trying to understand or at least bring in experts to like understand it more, um, which is what I feel like needs to happen. Um, Like I've always talked about this, but I feel like there needs to be more diversity within like the mainstream media um, in terms of just people who, you know, like within journal, like in the sense like journalists and music critics and people who are who have um, a platform where they're talking about all these different types of genres and music. There should be conversations about like what it is, like what's the history behind it? What is this movement? Like what are people listening to? And because there's a whole world out there. And I feel like a lot of times like people in the U.S. especially like are just so 
like they just have this created this bubble and they feel like you know whatever is happening here this is what everyone's talking about everywhere else but yeah marka yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right speaking of the whole world out there do you think we're moving toward a more fractured pop culture uh where there's sort of less of a uniform mainstream and more globally niche and passionate fandoms or despite you know how global things get there will always be this sort of like uniform standard mainstream there so i feel like it's kind of both i don't know if that's like cheating but i feel like i feel like there's a lot of uh people there's a lot of fans and fandoms who are just like you know it's like what i said before like they're just gonna they're just gonna do what they want to do and they're just gonna listen to what they want to listen to and um not really listen to what mainstream um you know mainstream music or what the media or like what people um will consider as mainstream and then there's just like the general public right who are casual listeners casual consumers and they're just like you know they're just going to listen to whatever is playing on the radio whatever is like the biggest hits on these like major uh, playlists on spotify or these other streaming apps but i think it's a little bit of both um i know that's like because right now especially with social media there's just a lot of information being spread. So I think with fandoms in particular, they're just very aware of what's happening. And then there's also people who don't really care about this stuff as much. Like, you know, there's a lot of people who are just like, I don't really care. Like, I'm just going to listen to, you know, whatever's playing on my Spotify and that's just how they're going to consume. So I think it's a little bit both, to be honest. Thanks so much for chatting with us, of course. Uh, is there, are you on social media? Is there a way if, if, if people want to reach out and say hi, uh, that they can contact you if they want to get in touch? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's my website, um, which I think you guys are going to link. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter. Oh my God, what's my at? It's at amimadu23. Um, I don't really use it that much, but if you want to like reach out, you can, but just be nice. <laughs> well, Hey, this is, I mean, it was, I learned a lot. Um, just talking with you on me and, um, really excited to, to see other things you write about and, um, see, uh, what is next for your career. So, um, thanks for yeah, making yeah. the time and, um, best of luck. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. How Music Charts is written and produced by Jason Hoven and Rutger Rosenborg of Chartmetric. As part of our effort to equip artists with the power of music analytics, we've just rolled out a new artist tier, which you can sign up for at app.chartmetric.com slash plan slash artist for about the price of a coffee per week. Free Chartmetric accounts are available at chartmetric.com and podcast notes are at blog.chartmetric.com. You can also subscribe there for additional insights delivered to your inbox right after we publish. Did we mention we have a YouTube channel? That's right. Subscribe for Chartmetric tutorials and tips for indie artists. Follow our thoughts on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Chartmetric. That's Chartmetric, no S. That's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.